Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics. We're here with a special guest, Dr. Tim Yoder, who is an Associate Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, my own seminary alma mater. So it's nice to be back among kindred spirits, although we consider Talbot to be a, as as close a kindred spirit to Dallas absolutely. As, as there is. Absolutely. Uh, but he, Tim, Tim has taught at, in various places, spent most of his academic life at Cairn University on, right. the, on the East Coast. In Philadelphia. Uh, was that was been on the mission field in Russia mm-hmm. and in the Ukraine mm-hmm. and in France? Yep. Uh, has taught at Marquette That's University, right. mm-hmm. uh, where he earned his PhD in philosophy, and for the last four years has been on the faculty at Dallas Seminary. He's got a fascinating topic that I think our listeners are going to be very interested in, uh, called action apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's dive in here. There's a lot to unpack here. So you are. You are trained as a philosopher. I am. You're teaching in theological studies, but you've yes. taught. I mean, you're as close to a Renaissance man <laughs> in terms of what you're what you're teaching. How did you get interested in apologetics, and particular particularly this type of apologetics that you are proposing here? Great question. Yeah, um, uh, to me, apologetics was always kind of a natural uh, consequence or even goal from the studies uh, in philosophy as a Christian, as I wanted to be able to give evidences for the faith. I wanted to be able to defend the existence of God and the, the relevance of faith and uh, um, the soul. And so all of those things are just a natural consequence of, of studying and, uh, and learning. Okay. Now, what do you mean by the term action apologetics as opposed to to what right so so in, in thinking of I, I got started in in this specific topic uh, reading Christianity Today magazine over the last four or five years they have had at the end of every issue a testimony which are always fascinating to read and um, and I realized that a lot of the people that were giving their testimony were not necessarily referring to some of those intellectual arguments that I studied and teach. Um, And so I realized that there's more than one way to do apologetics if we use the term a little bit more broadly than we usually do. There is intellectual apologetics, uh, which is which is crafting strong, rational, truthful, philosophical arguments. What most people think about. Exactly. With the term. But then and then there's another um, kind of apologetics cultural apologetics that we've been, some people have been talking about. Paul Gould has written about that, and I have also thought about that as a way of making the gospel attractive, using the using arts and movie and, and uh, music and, and lots of things. But then I realized that there's another kind of apologetics that I call action apologetics, and that is when we use works of love and charity and, and a commitment to social justice as a way of proclaiming... Um, the gospel. Okay, now how does how does that work? We often hear about that as in terms of pre-evangelism, mm-hmm. as right. sort of a sort of tilling the ground, so That's to speak. Right. But is is that how you're looking at it, or is, it sounds like you have something different in mind than that? I don't. I don't uh, disagree with the idea of the preparation for evangelism, the tilling the ground. But I think that that the Bible seems to think that when we um, that these acts of loves are a way of sharing the gospel. We could think about it this way. Um, this is more, a little more philosophical. But the three transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty, 
Right? Intellectual apologetics is clearly truth-oriented, and cultural apologetics is beauty-oriented, so action apologetics is good-oriented, showing love, charity, being the hands and feet of Jesus as we um, minister to those who are oppressed and poor uh, in showing the gospel. Um, as it says in Matthew 25, you know, when you, when you do these things to the least of these, you are doing them to me. And I think there is a kind of gospel proclamation in that. Okay. Now, when you read those testimonies at the end of the issues of Christianity Today, you noticed that not, and not everybody was coming to faith via traditional apologetic. What are, sure. some, some, what are some of the other avenues through which you saw people coming to faith? And how did that impact your own view of apologetics. So actually, I have I have five different kinds of apologetics that I there's intellectual, cultural, action. There's also personal testimony, which is it which is experiential, um, and then there is power encounter uh, when there is uh, Miracle, miracles, miracles um, and other sorts of things, dreams and visions. Um, yeah, we, hear, the, we hear about a lot of this yes. in, in the Middle East today. For That's example, right, Muslims. Among Muslims, right. Having dreams about Jesus. So those are the five that I'm working on right now and thinking about, and I think that they are all exemplified in testimony and conversion accounts of, of adults who have come to faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you saw examples of those mm -hmm. as you read, just sort of yes. what, what Christianity Today would randomly publish. Right. You saw a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. There was one, uh, there was a, a woman, uh, a Vietnamese uh, woman, her, her grandparents left uh, Saigon, the fall of Saigon in, in Vietnam, and they ended up, after a long twisted story, in, Indian, in Indiana to start their lives over again. And this little church had said, we want to show the love of Christ to a refugee family, and they provided food and clothing and some housing. And they, they didn't even speak English. And they came to church not understanding a word, but they knew that there was... This was love and generosity and caring, and they needed it so much. And they, she said her grandfather loved going to church. He couldn't understand a word. Eventually they did. And so there mm -hmm. is the proclamation. I don't want to say that we don't use words here, but, but the love and the concern was a big part of their coming to faith story. You know, I, I, I've often wondered, uh, because in, in the generation that you and I grew up in, I'm assuming we're close, I think we are, close yes. to the same age. You know, the, the question we asked about Christian faith is, is it true? Mm -hmm. And I've noticed among my undergraduate students today, that's not really the question they're asking today. They're asking more, is Christian faith good? Yeah, is it good? And, you know, does it, does it advance the common good? Does mm -hmm. it do good things for our community? Mm -hmm. That I'm finding is a much more, maybe not, or at least to, to, to some in this current generation, a much more powerful form of apologetic. Yeah. Is that sort of what you have in mind? I do. I do, although I, I do want to say I don't view these different kinds of apologetics as in competition or I'm not trying to rank them or say right. that one is better or worse. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the conference theme is, is, is poverty and wealth and it fits very well. And we have, obviously, we have lots of conversations in our culture about the role of social justice in the Christian worldview. But, but Scott, I think you're right. I, I, you know, a lot of people that I talk to talk about uh, being concerned with what is good. Is our, is our God good or is God a God of hate? You know, are Christians making a difference in the world for the good or are they um, contributing to the malaise? And, and these are the kinds of things that we can, I think, um, we need to consider and, and move the story in another direction. 
frankly, I think that the church sometimes gets um, an undeserved reputation for being anti and uh, and you know anti homosexuality or anti um, you know abortion or anti transgender or anti whatever. Um, whereas I think there are there have been and there are a lot in the church that are engaged in quiet personal mm-hmm. ways with with these sorts of things with helping refugee families out with befriending people who have a different worldview than them with reaching out and and showing love uh, whether it's you know cl- uh, clothes to to the homeless or food to the to the hungry and and uh, building houses or digging wells and and those kinds of things they are a way of sharing the love of Christ. Okay, so I think I think it's fair to say that we have, you know, we got a lot of people, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of NGOs who are out there doing a lot of good things yeah. for people yeah. uh, without the least remotest interest in the gospel of Christ. That's right. What's the practical difference between what you're describing as action apologetics and what a lot of nonprofits, yeah. you know, are, are out digging wells and serving the poor and, you know, doing all kinds of very good things, mm-hmm. but without any kind of Christian worldview that animates. I think it. there are. I think there are two things that we can point to. One is that when Christians do these things, uh, they have the Holy Spirit, and so when Jesus says, "You are salt and light in the world," uh, when Paul says in Philippians two that we shine like stars in the skies that people will see your good works and praise the Father. I think it's the Holy Spirit working through us in a way. In, in a way. But the second thing is that I do think we need to, we do need to share the gospel. So this is not a replacement for ever saying anything. Right. Um, and so that's why I don't want to put these different ways of doing apologetics in competition because they naturally work together. So you can do... Um, Great works befriend a, an immigrant family in your community um, and get to you know and help them and then maybe you'll have the conversation in which you say here's why I think the Bible is true and here's why I think Jesus rose from the dead and that yeah. work naturally works together. There has to be a, a gospel proclamation in words, but I think it's also a gospel proclamation in our in our love and our actions. Yeah, I've often been a little skeptical of people who claim, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna live my life. With, in, with integrity and authenticity, and I'm going to model this, uh, and I don't need to use words. And my response to that is, well, you're not that good. <laughs> and that's you, right. And you probably that, that's that's probably doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and yes. I think you're right. We do need words. That, we do. That's really important. We do we because do. a lot of people don't. You know, they they understand that they're being loved, but they don't immediately catch that they're being loved. But by whom? Right. Ultimately. Right. And, and so we say it and, and, and affirm it and uh, and express uh, express those thoughts. Uh, you know, the, the gospel is a is is um, is a message that needs to be preached and and shared and, and told. Yeah, I'm interested in some of your experience in doing this when you're on the mission field in other mm-hmm. parts of the world because I think in comparison to you know a lot of the U.S. and Canada and other parts of the West. The, the injustices are not quite as egregious and jarring as they can be in some other parts of the world, where, mm-hmm. where in, in other parts of the world, I think it's, it's, it's almost impossible for the gospel to have credibility if you're not involved in some of these causes to, to right injustices. I think that's, that's less true here, or at least as it used to be, 
Uh, but did you find that to be the case when you were ministering in other parts of the world? So, um, yeah, the, the nature of the ministry that I was involved with when I lived in Russia was was really trying to reintroduce Bibles into society. And, and I spent a lot of time with some of the young pastors that were there. And we did teach in the schools and teach Christian morals and ethics. And um, so I wouldn't say that, that the, the ministry that I was involved with in, in the 90s was was heavily focused on, on these sorts of things. Um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about those people that live on the, on the margins of society, the poor, the, the, the sick, the starving, um, we, you know, this is, this is how uh, ministry should, should be done. It's not just about preaching the word, but it's about, um, about, about doing justice and showing mercy and, and uh, loving in that way. I know there, there's a lot of skepticism, I think, in, in our Christian culture about social justice and, yeah. do, and doing, you know, doing justice uh, because of the historical precedent, which happened so many times where that, that became front and center in the gospel, you know, and the, the evangelistic gospel message got lost exactly. in the process. How do you safeguard against that? Yeah, well, I think that is a concern. I mean, you know, we talk about, we could talk historically about the, 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 the social gospel in which um, doing good acts um, becomes a, re- a replacement for a verbal ministry. Um, and I think we, we need to be careful of that. Um, and so, and so the, I, I think that the way to do that is to recognize that there's a kind of a, a two-step. It's, it's a both and. I think we do need to um, be be authentic and real, and 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 move out of our comfort zones to to share, uh, even a, in a sacrificial way, with people who are different than us. Like you know, the the Good Samaritan gives us the example of mm-hmm. that, um, and that's great, and it's essential. And I think there are a lot of organizations, Christian and non-Christian, that are doing those sorts of things. But for us, as as people that are defending the faith and sharing the gospel. We've got we've got to communicate in words. It doesn't have to be with a lot of fancy philosophical arguments and other sorts of things. I mean, it can just be. Um, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus died for our sins, um, uh, and uh, you know, and I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and you should read it or you should come to church. I mean, that you know, yeah. in some cases that can be that can be that enough. can be sufficient. Um, now, th- throughout church history, we've had. Lots of examples of this. This is, this is not something that's, not that's brand new. No. So give us a couple of highlights from church history Good. where the, you know, the, the church throughout the ages has performed acts of justice, and, and, and those things have been powerful witnesses yeah. to the gospel. So I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you a, a really good one from the early church. Um, you know, in, uh, in the early uh, church in, in the Roman Empire, which was obviously greatly persecuted, um, but ultimately, within a couple centuries, the, the Roman Empire became Christian. And, and how did that happen? How did this, the, the persecuted Christian minority become, um, you know, embraced by, widespread by many in the Roman Empire? And um, um, used the, the work of Rodney Stark, uh, who is a, um, a good historian, and he argues that two things happened that really helped to convert the Roman Empire, if we could put it that way. One is the way that Christians cared for the sick, especially when, when the plague came. 
Um, During pandemics. Exactly. Yes. That they stayed and cared for people at putting themselves at risk, Mm -hmm. even even for people that were not their own. You know, the the elite of the Roman uh, Empire, they they left the cities. They went to the countryside. Even the famous physician uh, Galen (laughs) took off and uh, didn't (laughs) didn't treat people. So Uh, they they, literally they they headed for the hills. They did. They did. And, and Stark says that another aspect of that was the Christian church had a role for women, a, a, a really significant role in, uh, in, in discipling, um, um, in doing important works, even in leadership that, that uh, gave uh, these women a chance to thrive in a way that they, that they did not in the pagan Roman culture. And so these two things were, were powerful uh, examples of action apologetics that made a difference in this and made Christianity much more attractive and meaningful, um, not more true, but more relevant and good. And, uh, and it was extremely important in the conversion uh, of the people of the Romans. Yeah. And I think just for the sake of our listeners too, the differences in the, the, the size of the safety net at the poor head in the oh, Roman yeah. empire as compared to today, yeah. Was, was, was pretty significant. Yeah. And so it's, how, how did that set the stage for the church's charity? Yeah. Well, it, it did because, because there, you know, there, there wasn't much that happened if, you know, there was, there wasn't any kind of insurance or, or, or public hospitals or other sorts of things. And it was the goodness of the followers of Christ who, you know, bear one another's burdens and weep with those who weep and taking Jesus' word seriously. And they, they did. They showed acts of love and they, they cared for the sick. Um, and it was a vivid, vivid uh, testimony. Yeah, the, va- the vast majority of whom were, you know, were, were not exactly overflowing with resources themselves. That's right, exactly. Uh, exactly. So it was not only at, you know, at great risk to get mm-hmm. sick, but it, uh, often at great cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, financially, too. The, early, the very early church, I know, had a reputation for rescuing children from infanticide. That's right. That's right. Um, and they just, you know, really without much financial means to speak of, they just adopted these kids in mass that they found abandoned. That's right. By the roadside right. and uh, left to, to die from exposure. Early pro-lifers. Yeah, very, yeah. A, a nice, nice early precedent. And, of course, the, the, the rise of hospitals and Agencies like uh, the Salvation Army and the and uh, the Red Cross are, are more contemporary examples of the same sort of thing. And those, yeah, I think unfortunately some of those have lost their original gospel emphasis and have been co-opted. That's right by the by our more secular because culture. it is a tough balance, right? It's 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 easy to slide over into a ex- extremely evangelistic perspective. Or to slip over into a uh, extremely kind of charitable good works perspective, and and what what this is about is is doing both about um, doing acts of love and charity and being engaged in social justice, uh, but but doing it in the name of Christ and and with His gospel as a part of what we're doing. So how do you do social justice without all the baggage that often comes attached to that? Well, it seems to be a, a Pretty significant challenge yeah, today. It is because I know some people who just they're they're just allergic to the term. Yes, and others yes. who think that that is the sole mission of the church. Yes, and they import they've imported the ideology that comes with it. So how do you uh, how do you stave that off? Yeah, well, it's a big question. 
It's a, it's a huge question. And um, I, I, all I can do is, all I can do really is say that when I, uh, I think that the model for social justice is, is Jesus. Jesus, um, he, he interacted with, with women, he interacted with Gentiles, he interacted with the poor, the leprous. Um, I mean, the, 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 the term marginalized, that's, that's the people that Jesus mm-hmm. talked to. And, he, and it, was, it was scandalous. The people of his, the Jews of his time, the Pharisees, even his own disciples, uh, you know, thought it was wrong. Um, his disciples, you know, rebuked Jesus more than once about, about who he was talking with. And, and, uh, and so if, I think if we take his, the model of Christ seriously and think about his social engagement, even if I can say it, his political engagement, um, I think that will, that will help us to navigate the waters. You know, it's not, it's not really a Republican or a Democratic concern. It's more about what are we doing to help, to help people. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's institutionalized. It can just be what, what my family does or what my small group does or what um, our Sunday school class does or, or, or you know, or our, our small, our local church, what it does to, to meet the needs of people around us. Tim, one last question for you. In, in, this, in this area of action apologetics, as you've described it, what, what are a couple things that you're particularly encouraged about? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, well, I'm encouraged. I, I am encouraged that we live in an era of, of, of uh, increasing devotion to apologetics uh, on an intellectual level, on a cultural level, and um, and I think that there uh, that we're 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 ready. We're, we're equipped in many ways. We're, I mean, the resources are there for people to to read and to understand. And you don't have to have um, you know master's degrees to understand these things. Obviously, the education helps, but there's lots of great apologists who are writing things that that the average church person can understand and communicate. And um, and then I'm I'm encouraged by the fact when I when I hear stories I hear stories of people that that this is happening. Um, uh, there's a story of a woman by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. She was a uh, um, an LGBTQ advocate and professor, and she wrote an editorial piece. Uh, this was some years ago, and um, she got a ton of letters, pro and con. But one letter stood out. It was from a local pastor who didn't agree with her stance in the editorial, but said. Hey, would you like to come to dinner sometime? And the more she thought of it, she couldn't get out of her mind. And so she called him and she said, yeah. And they met and they had a great time and they interacted and it led to more conversations. They became friends and eventually she became a Christian and she changed her worldview entirely. But it began with that simple invitation Mm -hmm. of come to dinner. Even though we are poles apart politically, socially, right, on all these uh, ethical questions, and that kind of stuff encourages me because it's 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 uh, this life and that life and that one and uh, and that's and that's something that we can all grasp and do. Yeah, and sometimes it's it is just literally one person at a time for how that works. Tim, thanks so much. This is so insightful. I uh, so appreciate your emphasis, and you're not you're not suggesting that the sort of the traditional intellectual apologetics is not a value because it's it's. I mean, you've affirmed that's a huge Absolutely. value. It is because you know. It's one thing to love people. It's another thing to answer their questions. That's right. Uh, and bo- both of those things. And we should be ready for both. Both, the, both of those things matter. So very grateful for you sharing your perspective on this. This is so helpful. 
uh, and m- much appreciated. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to, to talk, and uh, I'm glad to, uh, to be able to share some thoughts with you. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. The Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, offering programs in Southern California and online, including an accelerated Bible theology and ministry program that allows students to earn a master's and a bachelor's degree together in just five years. Visit biola.edu slash Talbot in order to learn more. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with our friend Tim Yoder, give us a rating on your podcast app and feel free to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.